Our Heavenly Father, we pray now that you would open our minds, that you might move in our hearts, that you might give us understanding of this intimate part of your word and that you might inspire us, whoever we are, to put this into practice. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Ness and I just finished one of our very first dates. I think it was like cheap Thai food from a restaurant just up from her parents' house. And as we returned to the front steps of her parents' house, I looked into her eyes, I held her hands, she looked into mine and she didn't let go. And we leant in and we kissed. And by God's grace, we were each other's very first kiss. And at that, I know, thank you. (laughs) And at that moment, a lightning bolt of electricity, it felt like, went across my heart. And I felt completely weak. And to be honest, it still does. Do you remember your first kiss? Physical touch is one of the most common human love languages. Babies and children know, whether they know it cognitively or not, we as parents definitely know, that physical touch and affection is important for the development emotionally and physically of our infants. A handshake or a hug from a friend when you need it can communicate without words powerful care and commitment to you. And of course, in marriage, physical affection is a powerful way of building intimacy within your marriage. But it's also true that particularly in the most intimate of relationships within marriages, that physical touch and affection can fade over time. And I wonder whether that's your experience in your marriage if you are married at the moment. As we come to Song of Songs chapter 4, It is indeed one of the most sensual and passionate pieces of writing ever. And it's here in the Bible. And I think that there is great wisdom in this chapter, particularly for married couples in developing a healthy passion and physical intimacy in your relationship. Now, if you are single this morning, if you're divorced or widowed or uh, separated, just long-term single, This message and this part of God's Word may feel like an arrow piercing your heart, that you feel sad and frustrated and disappointed, and you may be tempted to tune out now and not listen. But can I encourage you, please don't do that. Please listen. And not just because there is wisdom here for if you ever get married or if you get remarried, but there is great significance and application here for you even if you don't get married. And I hope that you see that as we get to the end, particularly of the message this morning. But there is wisdom here, particularly for married couples. And the first piece of wisdom is this, that recognition comes before intimacy. Recognition needs to come before intimacy. And I'm talking about physical intimacy there as well. 
Now, as chapter 4 begins, I believe it stands in great contrast to the, to the terrors of the night that we saw last week in chapter 3, with the man now showering his wife with intimate affirmations once again. Just like in chapter 1 and chapter 2, he is working very hard to make his beloved wife feel beautiful, to feel precious and valued and loved. I think verse 1 to verse 7 uh, are a section together and they're bookended with this reference to how beautiful she is to him and how much of a darling she is to him. Now, you might have noticed it as uh, Ricardo read it out. Uh, it's a little bit awkward. And remember that just like when we talked about it in chapter 1, that there are different standards of beauty for different cultures. So please don't get hung up on the idea that he says to her, your hair looks like a flock of goats and um, you've got all your teeth and your neck is like a tall building. Uh, don't get so focused on how is that an indication of beauty and love. In that culture, in his day, it was. It sounds weird to us. Baby, your hair looks like an animal. And I'm really glad you haven't lost a tooth. You know, but we're not so much to see what he sees. The poetry is meant to make us feel what he feels about his beloved. And that she is unique. That she is precious. That she is altogether lovely. But what I want you to notice in his description of her body is the movement of his eyes. He starts with her eyes, then he talks more about her head, her mouth, her neck, and then her breasts. And he stops there, and he says that he would like to spend all night there, you know, until the day breaks and the shadows flee, which is maybe understandable. And he will move further south as we get going into the Song of Songs. But what I want you to notice, where does he start in his recognition of his wife? the eyes. Many men today start at the breast and if they're lucky will move to the eyes but he starts with her eyes. Why? Well as someone famous once said the eyes are the window into the soul and what I think we're meant to see in his recognition of his wife is that he sees in her not just a physical body to consume but a person to see and to love and to value. It is her body, her eyes, her mouth, her neck, her breasts that transfix him. Just like me holding Nessa's hand transfixes me. Not because I haven't held another person's hand before, but because it's her hand. And that's what he sees in her. He recognises her beauty, her preciousness, and he doesn't just think about it, he tells her. He communicates it to her. Twice he says, you are absolutely beautiful, my darling. And in verse 7 he says, there is no imperfection in you. Now, I don't think that necessarily means she was a 10 out of 10 in terms of physical beauty. That she had no blemishes in her appearance or in her character. But it's clear that in his deep love for her, he overlooks those imperfections. He overlooks those blemishes. And we know that they're there because in Song of Songs chapter 1, she's quite open about her imperfections and her blemishes, at least from her own perspective. But he doesn't notice them. He overlooks them in love. 
just like God in Christ now overlooks your imperfections and your blemishes, not because they're not there, but because his love goes over them and moves through them and beyond them. And I think there is an encouragement here to all husbands in particular. If you want to enhance intimacy in your marriage, then first recognise and acknowledge how beautiful and precious your wife is. There's a cliche around that says that women use sex to get romance and men use romance to get sex. That men think about the destination and women the journey. Or that men are like microwaves and women crockpots. And I think there's an element of truth in that. It doesn't take too much for a man to get heated up and ready for physical intimacy. But women generally need time. They need to be recognised and affirmed and feel loved and valued and precious before physical intimacy. Scylla Lee has written a book called The Marriage Book and it's on the bookstall at the back. And in her book, she says this, if women were like men, physical intimacy would be over in 30 seconds flat and would be very boring indeed. And again, I think there's probably an element of truth in that. God designed physical intimacy to work best when a man, a husband, takes time to recognise and acknowledge just how precious his wife is. And men, it doesn't matter if you are as ripped as Rambo or Ronaldo. If you are a selfish lover, you will find no intimacy in your marriage. So I think there's a word here to husbands. If you want to be a great lover... Follow the example of this husband in Song of Songs chapter 4. He knows that God has designed his wife different to him and he takes the time to warm her up. He recognises and affirms and values her. Before he approaches her, he adores her. He takes time. Uh, the minister who counselled Ness and I in our first few years of marriage told us, quite frankly, make time to make love. And I think it's true. And that's what he does here. He takes the garbage out. He brushes his own teeth. He clips his own fingernails and toenails. He tucks the kids into bed. He romances her. He surprises her. He serves her, just like God has served us. Recognition before intimacy. The second piece of wisdom is this. Respect before intimacy. And I think we can see that in the next section, verse 8 to 15. Because in verse 8 to 15, and particularly in verse 8 to 11, the husband moves from affirmation now to approach. In verse 11, he longs, he says, to taste the kisses of her mouth again. They are like milk and honey to him. And you might remember that milk and honey were often references describing the promised land in the Old Testament. Just like the Israelites were waiting to get into the promised land, this husband has been waiting and longing to taste the kisses of his wife's mouth again. And you can sense that the microwave buzzer has gone off. He's warmed up. He's ready for intimacy with his wife. But before he indulges, notice in verse 8 to 10, he invites. 
he invites her to come down from the mountains, from Lebanon and from Mount Hermon. And I, I read one commentary during the week that, you know, a couple was counselling a younger couple and the younger couple thought that Herman uh, was her ex-boyfriend and she had to leave Herman and um, be with... It's not talking about that at all. Remember the mountains and the lions and the leopards, just like in chapter 2, are meant to represent distance and fear and insecurity. And he's saying to her, he's inviting her, darling, you have no reason to fear being intimate with me. Remember, I am committed to you. I love you. My banner over you is love. Come and be with me. He respects her as a person. And so he respects her decision to be intimate with him or not. He doesn't force himself on her, even though she is his bride. Do you notice that he also calls her his sister bride? Did you pick that up? Three times at least. He says, you are my sister, my bride. And that's not meant to be icky like he's married his sister. He hasn't. It's a close relational idea. This is his sister in God. Like we might use uh, sister in Christ today. It's meant to be a picture of intimacy and closeness. This isn't just another physical body for him. This is his sister, his bride. He respects her. She is precious to him. He respects her so much that he describes her in verse 12 through to verse 15 as a locked garden and a sealed spring, by which I think we're meant to see that the husband, he has no automatic access to her garden and her fruits, let the reader understand, but he needs to be invited in or he needs to have the key to unlock the door of physical intimacy. Even though they are married, he will not force his wife to fulfill every fantasy that he's ever dreamt of since puberty. He will respect her body. He will respect her decisions and her boundaries. And of course, that's just the way that God relates to us and we relate to God as well, isn't it? You remember since the fall of Adam and Eve, the way back to the garden, the Garden of Eden, has been locked to us. We can't just force our way into God's heaven by sheer will, as if God deserves us to be there because of how great I am. No, the garden is locked. We need to be invited. It needs to be opened. And praise be to God that that garden has been unlocked because of the cross of Christ. And likewise, God always respects our decisions as well. He never forces us against our will to come into his garden, to his heaven but he invites us and he demonstrates his love for us over and over again. But most clearly, of course, on the cross of his son. Intimacy in relationships, whether marriage or not, can only be built on freedom, on respect. That's the second piece of advice. And so I think here's a strong encouragement again to husbands. If you want to enhance physical intimacy with your wife, to respect her. She is not your sanctified concubine to do with whatever you want. She is your wife. She is your sister in Christ or a potential sister in Christ. Respect her and honour her. No husband ever has the right to demand physical intimacy from their wife or worse, to force her to be intimate with him against her consent. You know what we call that? Rape. 
and it's just as destructive and horrendous in a marriage as not in a marriage. Wives, if that's ever been your experience, please do not be silent about that. Tell your husband exactly what it is and what they have done and that he needs to repent and ask for forgiveness. And if you want to talk more with me or somebody else about that, please, we are here to talk and listen to you. Husbands, respect your wife's body, her body, her decisions. In fact, remember, intimacy is not just about you. Intimacy is a mutual thing. So why don't you, in your respect of your wife, ask her what she enjoys in this area? What warms her up? What gives her pleasure? What she doesn't enjoy? Ask her what the best times are for making love you might just be surprised. For some, that might feel a bit weird to talk about that kind of stuff. Maybe don't talk about it in the midst of it. But at other times, make the time to talk about it. It might be awkward, but if you don't talk about it, intimacy could just become this awkward event where neither of you are satisfied. Talk about it. Respect. And then as the chapter ends, the, re the results are very clear. As this husband recognises and respects his wife, there is the reward of physical intimacy. And listen to these very sensuous and passionate words. And it's showered in poetry and illusions and illustrations, but this is where the awkward turtle comes out if you read behind the lines. She says, Awaken, north wind, come, south wind, blow on my garden. And spread the fragrance of its spices. Let my love come to his garden and eat its choicest fruits. I have come to my garden, my sister, my bride. I gather my myrrh and my spices. I eat my honeycomb with my honey. I drink my wine with my milk. Let the reader understand. Twice already in Song of Songs, there has been a refrain that says, Do not awaken love until it so desires. Well, here she says confidently and loudly, awaken, the time has come for love. She says that his husband, her husband, is very welcome to come into her garden. There is no hesitancy, she is not afraid, but she is full of passionate responsiveness to his approach and affirmation. Uh, and it's a very interesting picture of lovemaking there. Since the sexual revolution of the 1960s, I think our culture thinks it knows everything about sensuality and passion. But compared to this, our culture is a cold polar bear. This is red hot passion and intimacy. Blow on my garden, eat my fruit. I will and I have. There we go. Now that passionate lovemaking is meant to be sweet. This is God's word to us. And for married couples, this ought to be sweet. But for many of us today, it might be bittersweet. As I said before, if you are single, divorced, widowed, long-term single, you might feel bitter towards God from hearing this part of God's word, that he has kept this experience from you. And you can be frustrated and maybe even angry towards God. But for those of you who are married, some of you might be unhappily married 
There might have been passion and intimacy in your marriage from, you know, in those early days, from the honeymoon onwards, but now it's all but dried up and there's a barrenness and a sadness there for you. For many of us, this part of God's word could be bittersweet. Now, in every marriage, there can, of course, be physical problems with respect to intimacy. There could be emotional problems with respect to intimacy because of past trauma or past experiences and relationships. But I want to say to you, if that's your experience, those issues can be overcome. Ness and I have counselled so many married couples over the last 10 years. And we know that issues like this can be overcome if you're willing to seek help. If you're willing to talk about it frankly with each other, if you're willing to get medical or counselling help if you need it, these things can be overcome. Don't give up. Don't give up. But sadly, I think one of the most common roots of sadness and bitterness in marriage is when a couple just settle down. When they start to take each other for granted. When a husband loses all romance and creativity when a wife just becomes crotchety and crabby, when busyness just takes over, all the kids, what they need to do and where they need to get to, tiredness just takes over, and all physical intimacy can just become clinical and predictable, if not dry up altogether. Uh, Lady Hillington famously said these words many years ago in her journal describing her relationship with her husband. She says, I am happy now that Charles, husband, calls on my bedchamber less frequently than of old. As it is, I now endure but two calls a week. And when I hear he steps outside my door, I lay down on my bed, close my eyes and think of England. It's a famous quote. But that is not the picture of marital intimacy that Song of Songs paints for us in this chapter. And if we have started to develop the Lady Hillington view of marital intimacy, then I think we need to change our mind and come back to the scriptures again. Someone famous once said that marital intimacy is not just the icing on the cake of marriage, but as an important ingredient within the cake itself. Let me say that again. Intimacy in marriage is not just the icing on the cake, but an important ingredient of the cake itself. God wants our marriages, I think, to grow in physical intimacy and passion. The highlight of our intimacy in marriage ought not to be the honeymoon, but ought to grow as we get to know each other and value each other over years and years and years together. Don't give up if you're facing a sense of barrenness or dryness in this area in your marriage. Talk to your spouse about it. Share your feelings. Talk to God about it. Talk to God about it together. He didn't inspire this part of his word for no reason. He wants your marriage to grow in passion and intimacy. You may need to apologise to each other for past hurts, if that's been the case. Husbands, you might need to make a decision to bring romance and creativity back into your marriage. And that doesn't need to be complicated or expensive. It could be just as simple as what the man does here in Song of Songs 4, just making his wife feel special. Writing her a love song. Writing her a love letter. 
affirming how precious she is for him. Taking some initiative, doing some things maybe out of the ordinary, surprising her, even just with little things. Rose petals on the bed, kids fed and bathed, whatever it might be. And wives, it might mean being more responsive to your husband, trusting him, giving yourself to him. Scylla Lee again says in her marriage book that for many women and for some men, sex starts as a decision and then arousal and intimacy can follow. Don't give up. Make time to make love. Maybe go on another honeymoon together. Reignite those passions. Don't give up. God wants your marriage to grow in intimacy. It'll take trust. It will take courage. But I believe it can be done. Now, as Song of Songs chapter 4 ends, well, it ends in chapter 5, verse 1, and it ends a little bit strange or weird to our ears with the couple's friends now speaking. Whether they've been watching, I don't think they've been watching, but at least they've noticed the, um, the connection between the lover and the beloved, and they say, eat, friends, drink, be intoxicated with love. And I think this is an important place for us to end on, no matter what our relationship status, whether we are single or whether we are married. It can be easy for those who are not married to be resentful of their married friends. And of course, there is a real grief and a real pain that married people need to acknowledge amongst their single friends. And not just to go crazy with public displays of affection amongst their single friends, but to be mindful of the pain that they might be experiencing in this area. But if you are single, your grief need not overwhelm you either. Remember, God is the greatest lover of all. And he has unlocked a garden and unsealed a spring that will well up to eternal life. You need no more satisfaction than in him. Married couples, you need to know that as well, particularly when your marriage is not going great. But in God, you have a garden and a spring that will never dissatisfy. The husband in Song of Songs is often categorised as a a shepherd boy, a shepherd lover. And remember, Jesus is your good shepherd. He will walk with you through all your fears and frustrations. Keep your eyes fixed on him. And particularly if you are single, I don't think you ought to withdraw from your married friends either, but be like the friends here. Encourage married couples that you know married couples in our church tell them eat friends drink be intoxicated with love encourage them in their marriage and even their intimacy within marriage why because healthy marriages are in everybody's best interest even if you are single because when marriages fail it affects everybody it affects the married couple of course it affects their children if they have children It affects their extended families, of course. It affects their friends as their friends are now placed in this awkward situation. Who do they support? Who do they not support? How do they manage both? It affects the church, particularly when marriages fail within a church. Healthy marriages are in everybody's best interest. So if you are single or even if you are married, pray and encourage married couples or other married couples, whatever that might mean. If you're single, it might mean offering to look after your friend's kids so that they could go on away 
to build that intimacy if it's been lacking. It might mean asking them the hard questions. How is your marriage going? What can I pray for you? And married couples, it might be open and honest about things as well. God doesn't want, I believe, any of our relationships to be boring or loveless, but to be a passionate reflection of his love for us. And we've seen two posts in the ground of which we can build intimacy, recognition and respect. And those two things go across the relationship spectrum. Of course, they are important for marital intimacy, but they are important in every relationship, friendships, family life, recognition and respect. And if we apply those two things, I believe there is the reward of deep intimacy. Can you see it? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your love for us. That you have overlooked our blemishes and imperfections. That in Christ you now see us as perfect, as clean, as holy. Even though we know that we're not. We thank you for your love. We pray, Father, that we would mimic your love in all of our relationships. And particularly for those of us who are married. And so, Father, I pray particularly this morning for husbands and for wives. That this word might inspire them reignite the passions of intimacy that they might know each other more and better even if they've been married for years and years and years that they might grow in their adoration of each other and that adoration might overflow so that as couples and as people who are battling with broken relationships in our community and even in our church might be able to see relationships that do work and are good and that that might provide hope for those who are struggling so father whatever our relationship status this morning please inspire us please inspire us to put your word into practice for our good and the good of others in jesus name we pray amen